Well, morning, Hope. My name is Chris Wormeskirch, and I'm one of the mission group leaders here. And it's really great to be able to be with everyone here, both at the 9 a.m., the 11 a.m., and everyone who's going to join us online today. For sure. So, yeah, thanks for coming. Morning, everyone. Um, today we're going to be looking at Acts 14, so if you want to start moving over there now. Um, have you ever spent time just looking at the ocean? Like sitting on the beach, maybe sitting by a really expensive beachside house, just looking out at the waves, seeing what's going on. Because a lot of times when you're looking at the ocean, you can see waves, you can see maybe some boats, some swinner, swimmers. But when you really think about it, the ocean's terrifying, right? There's, it's so deep, and we don't know everything that's below it. Like for all we know, the Loch Ness Monster is down there, right? It just may not be where we think she is. So that's kind of what I want us to think about this morning when we think about our mission. We kind of want to think about mission as an ocean. We don't want to get caught on the surface only looking at the things that are above. Because I think what we see in the Bible is that it invites us to look deeper than the surface. So we're going to look at a couple of episodes today from Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey where the surface doesn't really show what's going on below. But when we, get, when we look at what's going on below we can actually get caught in this like undercurrent of God where it's like a little hyperspace lane where we just zoom through mission a lot easier, with a lot more joy, a lot more power. So if you want to think about where we are in Acts right now, remember Jesus in Acts 1 sets the stage for us. He says before he sends that the gospel is going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. In the first 13 chapters, we've seen it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now we're getting to the ends of the earth section. And in the last couple of chapters, we've seen God, or Jesus, meet Paul on this road called the Straight Road on the way to Damascus, where he was going to persecute Christians. And Paul's experience with the risen and ascended Christ just blinds him. He becomes a Christian and dedicates his life for him. The zeal that he used to have in terms of persecuting the church, he now takes that zeal towards growing the church. And we also had Peter who had this vision that the Gentiles could come into the anyone who wasn't a Jew could come into the church, be treated with equal standing, 100% equal in the church. And then he's moved off stage and we don't hear from him again. And now Paul and Barnabas on their journey have actually been rejected by the Jewish people. God's own people have rejected God's message. And Paul says, well, theologically, the gospel was to go to you first and then the world. I've given it to you and you've rejected it. So now we're seeing the gospel move to the non-Jewish people. So that's where we are when we get to chapter 14. So I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at a couple of points from the sermon today. So 14, actually I'm going to start in 1351. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, 
And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that the faith he had to be, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, "Stand upright on your feet." And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they lift up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, "The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men." Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, "Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn away from these vain things to a living God." who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, into Iconium, into Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they had passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had, came, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles." And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray. Father, just so thankful for this chance to come together today to hear from you and to hear from your word. Spirit, we pray that you would make us attentive to you, that we could walk in step with you to share the good news of the King Jesus with the world. So we pray that you would speak to us through the word, that we'd be attentive to it, that you would bring us um, only to focus our eyes on the ascended Lord Jesus. We pray this all in the name of that risen and ascended Jesus. Amen. So when we look at a lot of these episodes this morning, there's a lot of things on the surface that I think we might, if we were in these situations, we might find pretty discouraging. So what I want us to do is just take a little extra time with these passages, look a little deeper, and see what's going on a little below the surface. So none of this stuff is stuff that I'm making up. We're all looking for this from the text, so I want us to keep looking at the text, looking at the things that the text is telling us that we might be missing if we're not paying attention. So just, just as our main point this morning, Paul and Barnabas' missionary journeys invite us to look beyond the surface of mission. My aim this morning is when we look below the surface of the mission, when we look below the surface of the ocean, we can find these little undercurrents. Be like that turtle from Finding Nemo that they use and just zip all the way across Australia in like 20 minutes. It's super unrealistic. But that's the kind of undercurrent that we want to get taken up when. When we join in mission, we want to see the undercurrent of what God's doing and join in with that. 
That way we don't get discouraged, we don't give up. But instead, we can see the mission expand. We can see ourselves taking more joy out of mission when we join in with what God's already doing and what God's provided for us. So let's go back. Let's go back to 14. We'll look at 1 through 7, the first episode at Iconium. So Paul and Barnabas begin there in verses 1 and 2. They go to the synagogues. This has been their practice. When you go to a synagogue, they're with, they're with brothers. They're with kinsmen, people who kind of share this same worldview. When they preach from the Old Testament in a synagogue, people are going to understand. That's the worldview that they've grown up in. But kind of as time has gone on, as we get deeper and deeper into Acts, synagogues are becoming much less, much less friendly and amenable to the gospel. We're seeing a lot of them start to reject it. And really, I think it makes sense, right? Jewish people have been growing up their whole life thinking one way. Their minds have been molded by the Old Testament. They've been molded in the Jewish law. They've been molded in a certain way of life. And honestly, some of them have been getting power from it. We saw this in the Gospels, that a lot of groups of power in Jerusalem were revolving around religion. So when you come preaching the Gospel, that Jesus died, rose again, and freed us from the law and his ascension, it really, it really challenges their way of life. It challenges their power. It challenges everything that they've ever known about the world. And instead of listening, instead of letting God work in their hearts, we see them start to reject the message. So you notice here that there was a group that started to believe the apostles. They were going along with the message. They were receiving it. And the apostles, as they preached with joy, were seeing some of these people come up. And look at what happens here in verse 2, 14-2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So not, not only are people rejecting the message, but they are actively working against the message. So here's maybe our first surface to look at today. Sometimes persecution seems to be the end of our gospel sharing. For Paul and Barnabas, it certainly could have been a good sense. They're like, well, we tried our best. We've seen some opposition, and in fact, they're telling lies about me. They have made a burn book against me, if you've ever seen Mean Girls. But instead, I want us to, point, I want us to look at something real quick. Look at verse 3. So they remain for a long time. That's kind of something that I think when we think about missions, any sense of persecution, any sense of opposition or pushback, I think we're out. I know I personally, when I do college ministry, a little pushback, I'm out. I'm not going <laughs> to... I don't want people to say mean things about me. I've got a fragile ego, right? I like me. I don't want you to tell me you don't like me. So, but look here. This so, this is kind of a therefore. Paul and Barnabas see this opposition and they stay. And I want us to kind of think, maybe sometimes when we feel this opposition, we can be challenged to stay. We don't need to listen to our first impulse to just get it out of there. Now, of course, as you look further down, they do. They do get out of there. So verse 4, but the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And then when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, so the opposition and the people have poisoned their minds have now come together with their rulers. So it's not even just like regular people. These are the rulers. These are the city leaders are now coming against you. If I think if our mayors came against us, I'd be like, oh, hello, sorry. Um, so they came together to mistreat them and stone them. They learned of it and fled. So I'm not saying we always have to stay, but I do want us to kind of take something from Paul and Barnabas here, this so. It's, they were poisoning their minds against the brothers, so they stayed for a long time. But they also left. So I think part of what we can see here is there's a little bit of discernment, right? We don't have to flee at the first sign of persecution 
but God also doesn't really call us to be stupid about it either. But this is kind of one of those things. So on the surface, right, persecution seems like it could have stopped. They could have, they could have stopped. They could have like just said, okay, we've done our best. We got a few converts. It's time to move on. But they also point out this little undercurrent that's going on in the story of the city. So they stay. But also, look at verse 21. This is another challenge, I think, in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium. So they come back. They don't see this persecution as the last word in Iconium. Instead, they come back for the disciples who are there. So I think sometimes, too, we're challenged to just revisit. When we're persecuted, when, we're, when we have opposition or pushback, sometimes it's time to just, put, just come back later. It's a good sense to take a breather and come back. When I was in K-12, through I had a classmate whose his dad was a pastor, and he was just so... He just rejected the gospel. I mean, part of that is maybe like his upbringing. Part of that was the private school. But he was just so, he had so much opposition to the gospel. And we would share with him. We would talk with him. And um, he was super popular. So sometimes it was like a little nerdy Chris talking to him. Um, really cool Chris, I mean, was talking to him. But it was just time, I think, that a lot of us just kind of stepped back. We trusted that God was going to work with him. We trusted the Spirit would have something to say to him. And little would I know that seven years later, I get a call from a random number on my cell phone. Usually I ignore those, but this time I was feeling the spirit to answer it, praying it was not about my extended warranty for once. (laughs) And who was on the other side of the phone except this kid? This kid was calling me for money for his church. He was support raising. And I was just like, I had to sit and be like, dude, Last I heard, you know, seven years ago, you were totally opposed to the gospel. You were totally pushing back anyone that would come to you. And he goes, yeah, but the gospel's bigger than any little squabbles I would have, any pushback I would have. God's bigger than that. And I finally saw his beauty, and then I ended up giving him $20 because you can't hear a story like that and not (laughs) give him a little bit. So this is kind of what I think that story is a little bit of what Paul and Barnabas have here. They see some pushback. But they trust that God's bigger than the pushback. They trust that God's work in people's hearts is bigger than any of the persecution that they can find. And there's even a little more than that. Turn with me to 16, verse 2. Because this is a really cool little story. So, actually, we'll start in one. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So not only does he see mild success when he comes, he comes back for more success with sharing the gospel, but also he gains Timothy from these believers. These people who seem to be pushing back, well, give him Timothy. And if you know your Bible, you know that there are going to be two books of the Bible written to him. He's also, as church history tells us, a pastor at Ephesus for a long time. So not only do I think... We need to be challenged to not always see persecution as the end of our mission, but instead see it as maybe like a, you know when you get the vaccine and your arm hurts really bad, you're tired, but it means it's working? I think persecution could be sometimes like that. When we're pushing buttons, when we're challenging people's ways of life, challenging their greed, their selfishness, their power, all of their violence, it's gonna, they're going to push back, but it means it's working. 
So I think sometimes we need to reconfigure the way we see persecution and said, see, maybe this is a deeper, this is an invitation into deeper mission, into more sharing, more boldness. Because, I mean, we also know that persecution, even if it kills us, doesn't have the final say. When we look forward to the resurrection of our bodies at the end of the age, we know that we'll spend eternity bodily risen with Christ. God will be in our midst. And he's going to look at that. And we can look at people around us and say, maybe part of my sharing brought you here with the work of the Spirit. So, yeah, I just, this first little undercurrent that we want to get in is persecution doesn't stop the long-term effects of the gospel. In fact, when we, when we tough it out through persecution, sometimes wisely with discernment, we can see God working such wonders that we can never even imagine before. But inevitably, they do leave, and then they turn to, they turn to the city of Lystra. So we see here that they're preaching the gospel here. And what we don't see is you can look. The only temple in here is the temple of Zeus. There's no synagogue here. So we don't know if there's not much of a Jewish presence. We don't know if they just never got to one. Maybe they go to the other city for synagogue. But this seems like they don't have the inroad to the gospel like they had with the synagogue. Like when you went to the synagogue, at least there was something that they could, there's a little shared worldview. Here, there's no inroads. And I think sometimes we feel that too. So when they get here, you know, they're sharing the gospel. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. They help a man who has never been able to walk, walk again. And the Lystrians see this and they are blown away. I mean, I think we all should be. If someone who can't walk is walking again, that's pretty cool. But even though the apostles have been preaching the name of Jesus, the name of Israel's God, because they don't have a world, they don't have a framework for this, they hear that and think, well, this must be the work of Zeus. I know he's been calling him Jesus, but this is Zeus. And I think this is kind of one of those things that if we're kind of experiencing this in real life, it wouldn't be funny, but sometimes it's kind of funny to think, well, what part were they missing here? Like they heard Jesus, they heard resurrection, they, but they put Zeus on it. So that's one of those things I think when we think about mission, we don't know if we always have these inroads. We, we kind of assume everyone knows the gospel. We kind of assume everyone is a Christian, especially in the Midwest. There's a lot of people who's like, they're conservatives that are call themselves Christians. There's a lot of like just cultural Christianity. So we assume we have inroads, but I think what we learn here, what Paul and Barnabas face here is we don't always think that we don't always have those inroads. People have alternate worldviews here. So they kind of like, it's kind of a nice response too, right? Like they like the message. They think it's their God. So they're going to sacrifice to them. They're going to give them every gift. They're about ready to empty this temple and bring it out to the apostles. So Paul has to be like, no, no, we don't want that. That's for Jesus. That's not for us. But I want us to kind of cue in a little bit on the way that he presents the message here. So this goes back to verse 15. So chapter 14, verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things. So the worship of Zeus, the worship of Hermes, sacrifice to all of these gods, this whole temple behind them. Turn away from these vain things and said to a living God, and this living God made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So what he calls them to do is say, 
I don't want any of these sacrifices. He doesn't want any of these sacrifices. But what we want you to do instead is turn from these idols, reject this entire way of life, this entire way of living, and turn instead to the living God who's been revealed in Jesus. And this message, I think, sticks true for a lot of us, too, if we're listening to it. So to just kind of back up a little bit, keep saying the word gospel, keep talking about Jesus. If you don't know what the gospel is, you might you're kind of in the position of these people who have no idea what's going on. So the whole story of the Bible is about Jesus. So it starts with God creating humanity. And the original humans were created to be in perfect union with God, to enjoy a perfect relationship with him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to eat with him, to be with him all the time. But instead, they chose, they chose to be tempted to listen to all of their worst instincts of self-elevation, of pride, that when they were tempted, they said, adios to God, right? The first second that they got and instead chose to live in their own way. And so that fills the world with death. That fills the world with sin. So all of these patterns of violence start in taking the world. And even now today, we know about these patterns of violence. We feel them in our own heart. We know all of the ways that we're tempted to live for ourselves. We know all of the ways that we're tempted to hurt others for our own gain, to live in patterns of violence, to gain power through ill-gotten means. All of these nasty, dirty ways of hurting each other, elevating ourselves, and just feeding a culture of death. But what the Bible tells us is that God sent his son Jesus in the form of a human to die. And when he comes as a human, he takes all of the weight of evil and sin upon himself. That when he dies, he, can free, he frees us from death. He destroys death through his own death. And through faith, only faith, just believing in the finished work of the risen and ascended Jesus, we can join in his family and take part in this new way of living, free from violence, free from all of these ways of self-harm, self-love, self-aggrandizement, but instead of live in a different way of love, a way free from death, and instead that we can serve one another and live in humility. But I think, too, even if we've heard the gospel, this message is still for us because we still make idols in our own hearts. We still build up ways of living that are harmful, ways that are evil, Sometimes, if, really sometimes the absurdity of it, when you stop and think about it, kind of hits you. When you hear the gospel that Jesus is king over the entire world, and then we think, well, that seems really good for my political campaign. Or sometimes we hear, Jesus came in humility to die for our sins. We think, well, that seems like a really good way for me to gain some power, take this message of a humble man and build myself up. Or sometimes we hear the message of Jesus, who once was rich, who became poor for our sakes, and say, I'm going to use this message to buy myself a jet. You know, all of these ways that we can hear the gospel and still turn it into our own goals. So what we need to do is take a minute to repent of all of these idols that we've built in our own hearts, and instead turn to the living God again and again. Because for none of us, it's never easy. It's never our preset condition to be like, I'm going to go to God today. But instead, it's a lifetime of walking with the Spirit, a lifetime of prayer, of scripture reading, a lifetime of walking in love with Jesus that we can come and turn to him again and again and again like he wants here. But look here. I mean, when it says turn from these vain things to a living God. So vain things is probably an allusion to Isaiah who all the time talks about how idols are dead. They're blocks of wood. They're bricks. Sometimes they're rocks. They're not doing a thing for you. But instead, we turn to the living God, Jesus, who was crucified and rose again, that reigns on high now. We turn from our rocks. We turn from our money, our cars, our clothes, and instead turn to the living Jesus, who rules over all things. But 
And two, look at this last little sentence, because I love this last little sentence in verse 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So when we turn away from these, when we turn away from these idols, whether you know Jesus, whether you've whether you've known Jesus your entire life, when we turn away from idols, we can start to accept the world as a gift. We can start to see that the rains, all the fruitful seasons, food, gladness, all of these are gifts from God, the Creator. So instead of like hoarding and holding on to everything and turning them into idols, we can instead have open hands to receive from God, receive everything as a gift. So that's what Paul's inviting the Lystrians into, and I think that's what the Bible's inviting us into. So let's think about these things. And just when we think about mission, this little undercurrent that, you know, we're thinking about the ways that God has always been at work, even before we've joined in on this mission. So there might be a confusing sentence in here in verse 16. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk their own ways. So the story of the Old Testament is how God chose one people, Israel. And through Israel, they were going to be the solution to the problems of the world. It was through Israel that all of the nations would hear about the good news, that all of the nations would be blessed through Israel, and that through Israel, the nations would be blessed. So it's not that God didn't care about other nations. It just, he worked specifically through Israel in the Old Covenant. But now, in the New Covenant, Jesus is king over everything, and all of the nations are welcome in, and all of the nations are called to account for there isn't an ascended Jesus who's judge over all, who's going to judge these actions. But it says, he did not leave himself without witness. All of the time that we are going into mission, God has already been working. We are never going in somewhere cold. Like we're not salesmen doing cold calls. I know that's the worst thing in the world. We're not doing that. We're actually going in behind God who's already working, who's already been moving in people's hearts to bring them the gospel and to do whatever he's doing in their hearts. We can't always know. We don't always see. But what he says is he did not leave himself without a witness. And sometimes those witnesses are rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfied, satisfied hearts and food. We don't, Romans 1, Psalm 19, the whole Bible talks about the way that nature itself talks about God. So if you know someone, they've probably been outside. That itself is that itself is witness that God's working in their hearts already. So I want that to be an encouragement to us. When we go on missions, we're never going in cold, but instead we're working behind a God who's been working in their lives already. And I think that's, that's such an amazing encouragement that we don't need to like just hope, oh man, I'm going to screw this up. Instead we can say, well, I'm preaching outside. This is all a witness to what God has done for us. This is all a witness for what the creator God's done in the world. So, We'll finally look at one more thing. So one of the things that I'm a little concerned about is maybe on the surface of reading Acts, we might think that missions are only for special people. Like when we read about Paul and Barnabas, we might sort of think, well, missions are only for them. I'm no Paul. I'm no Barnabas. I'm not even a Peter. And it's like, ooh. Um, but instead, what I want us to kind of cue in on on these last couple of verses from 19 to 28 is Regular, average people are empowered and invited to join into the mission through the gospel. So look at a couple of the things that come up here. So as I've said before in verse 21, Paul and Barnabas return to Lystra and Tyconium and Antioch, and there they strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So you notice that the leaders that Paul and Barnabas set up, they're not named. And really, Acts is the story of Jesus and his kingdom moving out through the entire world. But it looks like it's got a few main characters. It looks like it's got its Peters and its Pauls. But really, the undercurrent of Acts is Acts is built on the faithfulness of regular, everyday people. People whose names aren't recorded here. People who just happen to run into Paul. They might have been shopping. They've got, they're coming home with their meat, and they hear the gospel. These are the people that we see in Acts when we're paying attention a little bit more. So we don't need to be Pauls and Barnabases to join in the gospel mission. Instead, we just need to be people who hear the gospel and respond in faith through the work of the Spirit. And I love what they do here. They strengthen the souls, they encourage them, and then they remind them. Like, they come through, they're encouraging them and say, hey, and remember, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's like, ooh, I see. But this is the legacy that Paul and Barnabas can leave, is he can say, look, this is what we've gone through. We've gone through so much. So when we know that people have struggled in the mission before us, and they've come to report that to us, we can see that God works through them. And then they go here with prayer and fasting. They commit them to the Lord. So prayer and fasting are things that we can all do. Like every morning we can wake up and pray. We can go through the Bible's book of prayers, the Psalms, read, read, read through those, sing through those, pray through those. The Bible gives us 150 spirit-inspired prayers. So if you ever don't feel like praying, you don't know what to pray for, right in the center of your Bible, there's 150 choices for you. So that is part of mission. Sometimes we just need to be, we need to be open. We need to be listening to God and see what he has for us. And fasting too. Every time you feel a pang of hunger, it's a reminder that we are dependent on God. And that's in the normal day. And I don't know about all you, but I feel those reminders of my dependency on God quite frequently throughout the day. I'm very hungry. Fasting is a, however long you choose to do it, fasting is a prolonged reminder of that dependence on God. We are dependent on God for our mission. We are dependent on God for our leaders to lead us. Everyone in this room is dependent on God, but how easily we forget. So what we can do with fasting is we can be reminded of that necessity. We can be reminded of our dependence. And then finally, I just have one little point before we conclude, and I want us to look again at verse 28. So they're traveling back, and then they said they remained to know little time with the disciples. So as we look forward to everything kind of reopening, as we look forward to vaccination rate growing and the COVID numbers dropping, we look forward to going back to life together. Whatever that looks like, whatever we looked forward to, if you're introverted or extroverted, we all can look forward to life back together. But I think I want to challenge us. We don't want life back together to look like February 2020, before the pandemic. Instead, we want life together to look like one where we're praying together where we're fasting together, where we're strengthening each other and encouraging each other, sharing these struggles and mission. Because when we come back together, when we're thinking about what we can do, when we can regather, when we can gather in people's homes, we don't want to just sit in the past. We want to look forward to God's future, God's future of the kingdom going out, the gospel being shared, and Jesus being seen as king over all. So this undercurrent is all of the time that you think that someone you have to be someone special to be in missions, just look at this and remember, God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And it's through the proclamation of the gospel that he empowers us to join in that mission with us. So, as we kind of look through this chapter, pretty sure that was a lot, so 
I, even my own notes were pretty extensive. So I just kind of, just every time that we're doing mission, God invites us to look below the surface. We don't need to see persecution as having the final word. We don't want to look through competing world worldviews as the final word. We don't need to think that we're someone special. The proclamation of the gospel is for all of us. God is working ahead of us, and God's invited us to join in that work. So I hope and pray that as we come together, as we pray together and fast together, read the scriptures, we can all get excited for this mission and see that all of us are being empowered to join in that. So let's pray before we continue. Oh, King Jesus, we're so thankful for your sacrifice for us, that in your death, resurrection, and ascension, you've conquered death and freed us from our sins. And we pray, Spirit, that you give us joy and courage to share that message with more people, that as we look at this chapter, we can be reminded of the way that you're working and the way that you're working through us. And we pray all this in the name of the risen and ascended Jesus. Amen.